0: Hello, and welcome to JK It's Magic, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly why fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And
1: I'm Kelly. In this episode, we're back in El Brooklyn de las Brujas, and we are talking about Bruja Born by Zoraida Cordova, the second novel in the, Bru- in the Brooklyn Bruja ser- series, right? That's what it's called? Yes. After a tragic accident, Lula betrays the mysterious uh, Dea Lady de la Muerte by accidentally creating a horde of casi muertos, which is a portmanteau that means almost dead in Spanish. In doing so, Lula traps Lady de la Muerte between realms and throws off the balance of like the whole universe. So like NBD um, <laughs> and the Mortese family teams up with Nova and some new characters to unclusterfuck the whole situation dot 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 for
0: now dot 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 so our call to action this week um thinking about the character nova who's experiencing homelessness throughout this book and the last book um we're asking people to donate if you can to the national alliance to end homelessness and definitely educate yourselves on ways you can help in your community even if you aren't able to give money think about donating your time and resources
1: that you have available to give we'd like to get a shout out to our new patreon patron anna hi hola bienvenidos thank you for joining us if you all out there want to get a shout out in the episode want to get your episodes early and more awesome stuff um support us on patreon
0: initial reactions I was so excited to read this book because I loved Labyrinth Lost so much, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, it was so good, but I wasn't sure I would like it as much because Lula was my least favorite of the Mortise sisters. She just seems like kind of vain and like typical older sistery, which is like me. So maybe she's too much like me. And then I didn't like that. <laughs>
1: I'm triggered yeah
0: but I absolutely loved it the pacing was fantastic the stakes felt high the whole time and Lula was a much more relatable character than I anticipated and so now I can't read wait to read Rose's story in Wayward Witch which will be out by the time this episode is available to y'all um so I'm real excited I already pre-ordered it so (laughs) what were your thoughts
1: I appreciate both the Brooklyn Bruja series and Zoraida Cordova's storytelling prowess even more after reading Bruja Born. Urban fantasy isn't typically my favorite personally, but I love the world and the characters that Cordova has created. It was a total page turner, and I say let's definitely read the final installment for the show in our next season. Yeah, let's.
0: Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. This book takes place about six months after Labyrinth Loss, and it takes place in our world, whereas Labyrinth Lost* took place in a different world, a different realm, Los Lagos. And from looking at Wayward Witch's synopsis, it looks like um, Wayward Witch will be, or Bruja Born will be the only book that takes place in our world. So like you kind of mentioned up top, we, this is like the only one of them that's going to be urban fantasy, I guess, um, because it's the only one we get set in this world, but I thought it was like kind of fun to see them like traveling through Brooklyn and like going all over the city. Like it was cool.
1: Yeah. I thought it was cool to let like the author flex that they could do urban fantasy too, you know?
0: Yeah. And I actually think that Cord- Cordova's has um, got a short story coming out in a, in a compilation called vampires never get old, which I think is a bunch of like black indigenous and people of color um, writing vampire stories <laughs> so I'm, I'm really I excited it. for that I wanted it already yeah it looks really cute and um, I already pre-ordered it because I'm on a book buying binge apparently right now <laughs> um, so yeah other books like other fantasy styles to get to see from this author
1: shout out to the map in this book it's kind of along the same lines but I love the legend and the geography that we saw on a smaller scale like a local scale that we don't really see in the non-urban fantasy that we read. We see more of those like larger epic scale, large maps. Um, So I love the map. I thought it was like super cute and also very helpful.
0: Which is also funny. I I feel like we often don't get those maps in urban fantasies, probably because we're like, well, it's in Brooklyn. You could like look it up or whatever. But it is helpful because I imagine like this neighborhood isn't exactly the same as a real neighborhood in Brooklyn and that sort of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. I love the sensory world building in the novel with all the teas and the tinctures and the different potions. And then also the baking. Have we talked about baking on the show? I don't recall, but that's something that we both love to do.
0: Yeah. I was like really excited when they were in Nova's grandmother's bakery. I was like, this is so exciting, but also she like poisons people for like, (laughs) as a side hustle I guess (laughs) so I was like don't eat anything there you guys like she's gonna kill y'all
1: I'm sorry if you didn't think I thought about you immediately upon meeting that character (laughs) I was like she's baking and she's a spinster she poisons people she's got like long dark painted nails like I love it
0: yeah although I do have to say now that like I'm baking at least once a week sometimes like up to three times a week I have short nails because they kind of just get in the way when you're trying to like knead dough and mix things by hand it's kind of a pain in the ass to like have to clean that so right yeah you need like a brush or something yeah it's too much work too much work
1: wands out let's discuss all things magic we're back with the deos, the cantos, there's recoil from practicing magic, there's blood magic, and with all of this, I'm just reminded how thoroughly developed the magical system is, and I think that's really commendable.
0: Yeah, um, we get like a lot of different um, people throughout this book. We meet a shapeshifter and a vampire, and whatever Rhett is, um, I'm assuming we will learn more about him in the future. But we learned that the magical world is much bigger than just the Bruhex. And um, that kind of reminds me like the what I'm thinking about the recoil because we actually meet another witch, like not a Bruha, but a witch. Um, mm-hmm. So there's like a distinction between those two things in the book. So I do wonder if like the witches have the recoil that the Bruhex have. Um, I just wonder, like, what's the differentiation between their magics? Um, So I thought that was interesting and I hope to learn more about that maybe in future books.
1: Yeah, I didn't think about the differentiation in their magics. I more thought of it as because I know Lula and the Mortiz sisters, like basically if they're called a witch, they consider it a slur because they're a bruja, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just curious if the if the differences are beyond like ethnic, cultural, Mm -hmm. racial.
0: Yeah, because I'm kind of assuming they also have like different deities maybe even, or maybe mm. there there are no yeah. deities with the witches, whereas the Bruhex do have those. Um, so I'm kind of interested to to learn about that because I just um, also finished Cemetery Boys where, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what it's called, um, where they also found witch to be a slur as opposed to like Bruhex. So um, it's interesting to see that. And I don't know that much about Bruharia in general, so... Maybe
1: Um, we can do some research for the show notes. That would be fun.
0: Yeah, for sure. We also learn um, more about these other secret magical organizations that are going on. We have the Thornhill Alliance and the Knights of Levant, which are also referred to as the Hunters. Um, And I don't know how to feel about them. Like, I think the Thornhill Alliance might be okay. They seem to be helping with that. What's that guy's name? Now I already forgot. I want to say his name is like Kyle, but oh, McKay. Okay. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> I just remembered the KY part. <laughs> um and then Rhett is one of the hunters who we who have done really bad things in the past. They're like magic police and like, you know They
1: reminded me it reminded me very much of like Matthias from Lee series.
0: Oh yes
1: but then a hunter type
0: thing yeah but then they turn out to kind of be okay like they're trying to make sure that like the magical creature like almost like the men in black like trying to make sure that like the normals don't find out about you know everyone else (laughs) like all the magical stuff going on Mm,
1: yeah I'm just like skeptical I'll talk about this later but yeah law and order discourse I'm kind of (laughs) like no gracias (laughs) Oh, I I enjoyed learning more about Rose's gift of the veil in this book than we... We were very concentrated on Alex and what it meant to be in, in Cantrix and everything in the first book. So I loved seeing more of Rose. She's just funny and adorable. And turns out she's also a magical hacker, which is really cool. And this reminded me of the centers in Children of Ritual and Vengeance. Did you think about them? It's funny. I did
0: not think about it at all. All I could think was like that. Rose is always cold, and um, I was like, oh, I'm always cold. Maybe I can see dead people as well. Like that'd be pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot. Um, but yeah, I was really excited to learn more about Rose, and I guess it makes sense because in *Labyrinth Lost*, like we are like the whole family is um like, in Los Lagos, in that tree of life. I think that's what it was called. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're, like, kind of captured by the devourer. So it was kind of interesting to see, like, these family interactions that we could not have gotten in the last book. So it was fun to see Rose and, like, even the parents, to some extent, even though they were sometimes doing, like, I'm like, why are y'all leaving? You know someone's after you guys right now. Like,
1: what do you mean you're going to go?
0: Like, one of you should stay.
1: (laughs) I guess, technically, their mom is, like, the extent of the healthcare system for magical beings in the tri-state area. So that's like a lot of pressure.
0: When I'm guessing. Work. Some of it might be that she's doing things that like maybe the hunters are not on board with, so she's kind of like helping people on the like DL, you know.
1: Mhm. Yeah
0: lady de la muerte takes years off lula alex and their dad's life to make up for the lives lula cost people and i felt like this was kind of justified what did you think agreed i thought it was um fair yeah like a lot of people died because of what lula did and i feel like a lot of times in like movies and tv shows and especially like superhero stuff there's like no repercussions for all the lives that are lost because like all these people like I know they're trying to save the world but you killed a lot of people I guess this is kind of the premise of Civil War of you know Captain America's Civil War like they did all that bad stuff like they did help people but in the process a lot of people died and like what are the repercussions for like vigilantes who do that mm-hmm. I'm team cap so I'm like no don't sign those accords like we're not teaming up with the government but you know
1: <laughs> obviously
0: obviously we have to save Bucky at all costs <laughs>
1: And we are definitely on the side of America's ass.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Oh, well, there's going to be a gift now. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Check out the show notes for gifts of Captain America's ass. I think we. Pro- I promise
1: that there will be at least four. At least four. Okay. You heard You're it. You're not here. even editing this. Don't I know. Put that's this why I me. said it. <laughs> Wands oh. away.
0: Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. So we have zombies in this story. We don't get zombies in a lot of our books. Um, so they're they quasi-muertos, which aren't really zombies, but they're very zombie-like. They're zombie-adjacent.
1: Agreed. They're like parasites, you know, because Lula is the host, basically. Mm-hmm. And then that thing gets, like, ripped out of her chest. That was hardcore.
0: Yeah. And gross.
1: Also that. <laughs> <laughs> I was not really expecting zombies, honestly.
0: I don't know what I was expecting. I I am very interested by this kind of zombies because they never really died, I guess. So mm-hmm. it was very interesting and a different like take on that genre um, to make the host such an important part. Like the person who started the the Casimuertos to make them like such an integral part of the story of the, of the beings.
1: Definitely. And Whenever there's like zombie talk afoot, it brings up the issue of contagion and, you know, it makes me think about all the emotions that that makes us feel, you know, fear, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. That feels pretty prescient at the moment with our current pandemic and Multiple pandemics, I should say, of racism and COVID-19. Well, especially
0: when you see them, like, they're at the Thornhill Alliance and they're, like, looking at the map and, like, kind of showing, like, if we don't contain this now, like, this is how it, like, grows. And when you think about, like, New York City kind of being, like, one of the epicenters of the pandemic, like, the current COVID-19 pandemic, um, you kind of see, like, these things happen very quickly and especially when we don't have all the information we need about what's going on um, and what's going to protect us so yeah definitely very prescient to the current moment
1: I put Thornhill Alliance and Knights of Levant on in our Kylo Ren section because I'm skeptical like I said earlier of the Law and Order anything Thornhill Alliance had, like, a whole panopticon surveillance system, which seemed, like, very, like, prism to me. surveillance or the U.S. surveillance system. Um, and that just, like, grossed me out. So, I don't know. I'm skeptical of both of these organizations and the people affiliated with them.
0: Yeah. I guess the Thornhill Alliance is, like, super men in black-esque, now that I'm thinking about it. Because, like, you know how in that movie, like, in the first movie, they're, like, watching, they're like, keeping track of all the... The aliens in that movie just to like keep track of them and make sure they're not doing anything they can't be. But that's like exactly what's happening here. But just like with all the magical beings and like Rhett knows all the movements of the like Morty's family, but he's like watching them. I mean, he's kind of stalkerish actually now that I think about it. Yeah, it's like, no, I don't
1: want your like weird flowers. What?
0: Okay, I would take them. They sound really beautiful, but I mean,
1: yeah, but like, I don't know. It seemed like a grooming sort of thing. It was weird. I, I think the, the novel is also kind of talking about how accidents slash slash the idea that, like, just shit happens as, like, a, a force driving the conflict. That's kind of what the whole bus situation seemed like to me. And the impulse to upset the balance or to... Which I'm also skeptical about because, like, who decides what the balance is, you know? Um, but that's what's wrong. The, the impulse to control the outcome and not death itself. So I don't know what you thought about this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of difficult to think about, like, because I guess technically Lady de la Muerte, um, she she knows when people's, people are supposed to die. So I guess it's also kind of like a, it, it's like predestined almost. And like mm-hmm. Lula has messed up that predestined des, pre de, predetermined. Lula has messed up that predetermined cycle. So I guess really it's it's her that decides, but I don't yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that is interesting to think about, like who is deciding what's wrong. I mean, just well, don't bring people back from the dead. It's always a bad idea.
1: <laughs> it never goes well, ever. When has it ever gone well?
0: I don't know. Yeah, never.
1: Um, I just think the novel is like talking about several times. There makes comments about how a world without death is stagnant, you know, and how it's necessary for this like product, this you know, the cycles of change to keep going on. And yeah, I just don't know how to feel about that right now.
0: Well, especially in a world that like in this in this world, um, like vampires exist so. Lady de la Muerte seems like very annoyed with the fact that Frederick exists as a vampire. <laughs> like she, true, yeah, she's like kind of like calling him out as if like I don't know, but like he's also like inventing things that are there to help magical beings heal. Like because like regular medicine, like people mm-hmm. like non-magic, they call them sin magos. Like their medicine doesn't work on the magical beings, so I think it's kind of like a like death herself would say like it causes stagnation, but that's like a person to person thing. Like some people would not be happy, like would not be content to sit around and just like watch the world pass by. And Mm -hmm. they would probably try and help create change within the world and make the world a better place. But obviously some people would take that power and just like do nothing with it or do bad things. So it probably depends on the person.
1: Yeah. I guess it reminded me of this idea of entropy and how, like, the, the breakdown and the decay is what then generates room for there to be growth, I guess. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting all philosophical and shit. Onward, magical friends. Justice one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, disability, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate.
0: I wrote like absolutely nothing for this part. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> I was going to say I saw the notes this morning and there was literally nothing in this section. So great. That's great.
0: That's all on you. you. You do the work
1: today. <laughs> oh, that's Heavy fair. lifting is for Kelly. <laughs> that's fair. Reparations. We have a multiracial cast of characters in the series. People's skin colors are described um, no matter what. They seem like,
0: right? Yeah, they are. I would say that there were a couple instances, thinking back on it, I was doing the show notes for Crier's War, and there were a couple instances in this book where skin color was described using food, and mm, mm-hmm. um, I don't really appreciate that. And right. I guess maybe authors find it difficult to do something else, because like, we have varying shades of brown going on in this story, as opposed to just like white and black you know um Mm -hmm. so it'd be good to think of some other ways to describe skin color
1: definitely i'm sure we could find some resources about that i bet people have done a lot of work on this
0: probably put my librarian skills to the test
1: that's right (laughs) and my research skills Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as jesse talked about at the top um the most poignant thing that comes up for me in class is that Nova is currently experiencing homelessness. So that was the largest, I guess, economic disparity that we saw in the novel. And there is, um, seemed to be some shame associated with it, which is understandable. Um, but I thought that it was, um, I don't know, handled with, with like empathetically, I guess.
0: Yeah. I think so. And nobody is blaming Nova for his situation, which I think is really important.
1: Okay, as far as gender is concerned, Lula is described as being sexualized from an early age. And this is on page six. So, um, I remember being like struck by how early it was. Um... I've been aware of the way men's eyes trailed my legs since I was far too young. The way boys in school started when they spoke to me. The way o- they offered me gifts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, this is that's on page six of the novel.
0: For another book that I think really deals with this at like on a larger scale, for like more of the book, I would recommend um, "The Poet X" by um, Elizabeth Acevedo. Um, that book is really good, and it's like very poetry-based, but um, it really talks about like young girls being sexualized from a young age and I think this happens particularly within like black and brown communities um definitely something that I could say I like it didn't even stick out to me in my mind when I read this because I was like oh yeah that's just normal but now I'm realizing maybe it's (laughs) something that is normal within black and brown communities like people you know eight aging them up you know or us I don't know I said them aging us up and you know sexualizing and holding us to a higher standard
1: yeah I've heard it called adultification before
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: the team is just like rife with toxic masculinity all the scenes I was like um adios I do not need any more scenes with any of you people goodbye sorry I roll but oh wait which team the soccer team
0: oh the soccer it was team. all of the
1: soccer it was all of the soccer players and they were like making jokes about i don't know being feminized or whatever i don't know it was yeah. just like Ugh, but very realistic boy stuff. yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah very true did you want to talk about Mai and
1: lula mm. sure we can talk about them i think that Mai and Lula are both characters that let us discuss how we internalize white supremacist and patriarchal beauty standards. So Mayi is the person who is glamoring herself to because of her acne, correct? Yes. And we are the novel lets us know that like magic isn't supposed to be used on the self, kind of similar to what we saw with. Um, uh in gods of jade and shadow where the gods couldn't use the power or hunkame couldn't the couldn't use his gift of prophecy on himself Mm -hmm. like you're not supposed to glamour yourself and so then the recoil is worse i guess um so and then lula is also getting glamoured by alex at the beginning to cover her scars yeah there's just a there's a lot there
0: yeah i appreciated this because i do think that like, the beauty standards for women are so much higher, you know, where it's, like, you're expected to have, like, your hair done, and wear makeup, and, like, do all the things, and it's just, like, why, though? (laughs) But why? (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's, like, frustrating, but it's also hard to, like, because those are so ingrained in us, I think, from a young age, it's, like, kind of hard to break out of that, and not only that, then it puts, like, stress on people who are, um, like, trans people to like live up to those expectations as well you know so like yeah they sometimes can feel like they have to wear makeup or they have to present themselves in a certain way to like fit into like the gender norms which isn't fair to them either um so yeah those are (laughs) those are my thoughts on beauty the gender binary limits us all yeah it yeah and it's it's no bueno
1: (laughs) (laughs) i am a skeleton that is my (laughs) Aesthetic gender. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, let's talk about ability, body minds, etc.
1: There is so much to discuss about and deal with um, as far as like complex PTSD and trauma is concerned. What Lula goes through in book one takes a toll on her and Max's relationship before any crash or anything right and max tells her that she's like not the same person and her fire has gone out or whatever which is like total eye roll um and it seems like they're you know both unprepared to deal with what happens when a partner suffers a traumatic experience and then has um you know for lack of a better world recoil from that you know trauma basically
0: yeah which i think has made even more difficult because Lula can't tell Max what's going on because he mm-hmm. is not a magical being. So he's not allowed to know. So she says that there was a right. break in at her house and she's like kind of shook up from that, which is also understandable. Um, mm-hmm, that definitely deal with some, you know, mental health issues after something like that happens. Um, but they're both also like children. So you kind of can yeah. see like, You know, kids also need help dealing with their grief and um, traumatic issues that go on around them as much as an adult does. Mm -hmm. They probably need it more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's why I think it's really important how the book shows that the way we pathologize people for their grief, we see this with Lula after the bus accident where um, there's a quote on page 78 where it's where her... um, like Bruja and Brujo friends were coming over and they were like talking to her and they basically, she says something to the extent of they wanted me to feel better and be better without like giving me the time or the space in order Mm -hmm. to do any of that. And that like, it just so resonated with me as far as like chronic illness is concerned from people Mm -hmm. are like, okay, get well soon. And I'm like, okay, like that's not going to happen, but thanks question mark. Like, you know, (laughs) So I don't
0: know if that if that resonated with you at all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do. I started following some other um, accounts on books on Instagram um, related to chronic illness. And it is funny to see like some of the things people have said to other people about their illnesses are just, you know, like the same things people say to us. And I'm just like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one hearing people, you know. um, So yeah, we won't get better so sorry (laughs) that's like
1: what chronic means (laughs) Um, yeah but it like makes ableds uncomfortable Mm
0: -hmm. yeah they don't I mean people don't know how to deal with those kind of things those illnesses so Mm -hmm. yeah and along that line lula's body has been through a lot of shit like she's been spending this whole time that we see her in this book she has you know she is in the bus accident and she's not healing because she's connected to all the casi muertos um and so after all of that is done and they've like saved the world um lula's body doesn't just like magically get better so she's learning to live with a body that has a different level of ability than it did before um and we kind of see that a bit at the end and i think we'll see it maybe more um in the future books actually i don't know how i i did look up the synopsis for wayward witch and it looks like it's taking place in another realm and it might just be rose and her dad so i'm interested about that um but yeah, she's just dealing with her body being different than it was before, and she's not, like, making a huge deal about it. Like, it's just a different thing now.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem like she's wants to fit into the box anymore. Mm-hmm. She's just like, fuck it. And I think, I don't know if you felt this way, too. Like, eventually you reach a point where you're just like, fuck it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like, I just have to, you know, live the way I can do that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think we also see this, like, Um, as she stops glamoring her scar as well by the end of the book, which um, I was like, yeah, you're a badass. Like you were attacked by like these creatures from another realm and from like the first book. So like, dude, just like own it. You're so badass.
1: Resources that came to mind talking about chronic pain and body acceptance and that sort of thing that have been helpful for me are Sonia Renee Taylor's work, and then also the finding our way podcast which is new um highly recommend we'll link to those three sources
0: finally it's time for shipwrecked a segment about asexuality sexuality sex romance and relationships and sometimes we take some liberties and do some shipping of our own alex and rishi are finally and officially a couple it's so cute. It wasn't like a big part of the book and we don't see them together very much, but I was just like, oh, this is I like this. This is nice.
1: <laughs> it was really nice.
0: Um, what are your thoughts about Rhett? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I that's i I'm not into it. I'm not. Okay.
0: Is it because he's like basically a
1: police a officer yeah a <laughs> <laughs> cab yeah um part of it's that and part of it is like how he was treating her at the beginning was pretty condescending and paternalistic lula i mean how he's mm-hmm. treating her um and slash he's like stalking her i'm not into that and yeah i don't really ship lula with anyone I think I ship her with, like, her own healing journey Mm -hmm. and maybe becoming, like, a badass medicine bruja or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I really like that Lula told him she's not ready for a relationship at the moment um, and that he, like, he respected that but also, like, understood that she's, like, not in a good place right now. So even though this book centers on Lula having tried to save Max, none of the book none of the books were so far have been super heavy on the romance aspect like Rishi and Alex end up together and like she does like use her power like say she'll give up her powers to save Rishi but um, none of the books really focus on the romance aspect of the character's lives it's kind of just like a side story which is kind of cool we obviously we do not get that very often
1: (laughs) (laughs) no not in this uh cohort of books no no Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in this segment called Kill Your Darlings.
0: I was so glad for the small amount of recap that we had at the beginning because even though we I realized we read this book not like the first book not very long ago I had forgotten way more than I realized like I I think maybe partly because we read so many books, like it just, it's like hard to keep track of what happened in which book at which moment. So I really, really appreciated that.
1: Couldn't agree more. I thought Zoraida Cordova really did an excellent job weaving in the exposition into Lula's narrative voice. It was just expertly done. It felt totally natural. Like the moment, like we're not talking about things, but here's what I would have, here's what we would have said. I just thought it was so effective. Um, and yeah, it really worked for me. There are some scenes of pretty graphic violence that I was actually kind of taken aback by, um, for the bus crash, for example. Wow. And then also there's like a Casi Casi Muertos debacle on page 261 where I was like, okay, yeah, there's, there could be, I can imagine this in like an action scene and like an action sequence in my head. I was like, wow. Okay. I think because I like watch so much TV
0: with like, graphic violence in it it doesn't bother me i understand it's not for everyone like this did not even cross my mind as being graphic in any way shape or form (laughs) (laughs) like yeah i don't know like i'm about to start the second season of the boys comes out next week which i'm very excited about it's you know um a comic book show but it's like rated like it's tvma but like you know it's like rated r and it's kind of graphic and stuff and so like that doesn't bother me, but I do understand like this might be a bit much for some people. Especially like they're eating, like the zombies are like eating human hearts. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't think of it, but like, yeah, it is kind of <laughs> graphic.
1: <laughs> this is a total change of topic. But the scene with Lula's dusty altar reminded me of Davy in the protagonist of Never Have I Ever, which is a Netflix show by, like, written by Mindy Kaling, I think.
0: Yeah, and based on her life.
1: And you recommended that show to me. It's so funny. It's so, like, with, like, oh, my God, quirky and just poignant and powerful and good. I loved it.
0: Yeah, and I think if you like Mindy Kaling in any way, shape, or form, you'll like this show because, like, Davey does such a good job. Like, the actress who plays her, um, like, does such a good job of, like, really getting that Mindy Kaling voice into the character. And I just, like, I'm, like, 100% team paxton hall yoshida like for life but he's also like the old like (laughs) he's also like my age (laughs) (laughs) like he's like a 30 year old playing a high schooler and i'm just like oh i love you (laughs) yeah watch that show but yeah i agree she's like it's funny because both of them have had like these traumatic experiences like very recently so you kind of see how that might make you give up your um like spirituality or your religion or um it like really affects that when you think like there's a higher being who should be taking care of you and you feel like that they're failing so Mm -hmm. totally get that um but yeah also watch have never have I ever it's so funny it's so good so good (laughs) So good. and lots of representation in that show a ton love it
1: uh one more thing is that this book is full of paratext and so you know I love it
0: Because it's so small at the beginning, because like so much of it is from like the their book of cantos. Like I was just I'm fine with it.
1: <laughs> well, the, I think the author's note at the end is helpful about the like information about blood magic and stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Although I'm pretty sure that Catholics think that when they are like that transubstantiation, like when they take um, communion, like they literally think it's the blood of Jesus, not representation. Is That's the, like the Presbyterians yeah the the protestants believe yeah so it did say in the in the author's note that that catholics think it's a symbol of the blood but they think it's the actual blood and body of jesus christ when they take that look at my my catholicism classes coming in handy was raised a bit catholic (laughs) (laughs) recommend if you like um so my two are cemetery boys by aiden thomas um this book comes out September 1st, so this episode will be out, like, the book will be out by the time the episode comes out. So if you enjoy books set in our contemporary time world with Brucheria, like, I love, love, love that book. I got Can we... an ARC early.
1: Yeah, and then you did a, you're going to do an episode, right?
0: Yes. Bonus episode with a friend, TBD. Yay. <laughs> um... So yeah, read that book. Um, it also has um, trans representation and its own voices, would recommend. Um, and A Blade so Black by L.L. McKinney, which we've read for the show. If you like adventure stories that play- take place in our contemporary world.
1: And I would also add death- Nation and Deathless Divide by Justina Ireland, if you are into badass zombie fighting. Also, can we just take a moment and say brujería? Okay, thank you. (laughs) Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did making (laughs) fuck I always say this. This is not the first time I've said that.
0: Just rewrite it to say what you normally try and say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my
1: god, no! Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept or system or trend that you hadn't before?
0: So I just want to talk about Nova for a second. He's not a huge part of this book, like not as much as he was in um, Labyrinth Lost, but I really liked reading about Nova and like this idea of family and home. So in the story, we see that um, Nova's grandmother it's it tells Lula and Alex to let Nova know he can come home whenever he whenever he's ready. Um, But she's also the person who kicked him out of his home. And we don't really know exactly what's going on with their situation. But I really enjoyed seeing the family aspect with the Mortiz family, like the sisters all together. Like they were very funny. Like they're all very different and well-written. And like the family really embraces Nova and brings him into like their home space. And like, you know, they're going to do a death day for him. And like, they realize that like, just because someone isn't your family doesn't mean they're not your family. And I really appreciated this from this book. Um, because I don't think this is something we see a lot. Like the I don't know. The family just has really embraced him, like the whole Mortis family. Um, and they are like trying to find a way to like do his death day so that he can like stop dying from the magic he uses, which
1: mm-hmm. I'm gonna
0: guess might have repercussions because Lady De La Morte is like uh, like, you can't give any years off your life because you don't have enough to give. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this might really affect that and cause some other changes. I would really, really, really love a book about Nova. He's like a very yes, interesting character totally. to me. I really like him. And um, like this part of the book was like very heartwarming to me. I really enjoyed it, even though I don't really... I don't normally go for the like heartwarming like sentimental stuff but for some reason there's just something about him that I was just like I just want to like hug you and take care of you like you poor baby. (laughs)
1: 100%. What about you? The Ten of Daggers is a card that Rose pulls a tarot card that Rose pulls on page 77 in a scene where I think that they're all the Mortise sisters are together I think with Max and she's like doing tarot or something. And the 10 of daggers is also the 10 of swords. And I know both you and I do some tarot. We dabble. Um, the tens in the tarot are the last of the minor arcana before the court cards. So the page, knight, queen, and king. And so the tens are often about completion of cycles or what it takes for us to access abundance or sometimes like how we get in our own way. Um, and the swords are a suit that's associated with air, and thus also communication, thoughts, messages, brain chemistry, anxiety, etc., etc. So the ten of daggers is kind of you can imagine the culmination of what that feels like. And I personally love the Next World Tarot Guidebook by End Deck by Christy C. Road, and this is um, something that she writes about the ten of swords. The Ten of Swords asks you to trust your pain, own your suffering, and don't deny yourself the care you deserve from self and the validation from your community. That validation is the root of safety. The Ten of Swords believes now is the time to ask your people for safety. So that's what I'm thinking about. It really goes along with the book and
0: maybe with our current moment as well. (laughs) Thanks for listening to JK It's Magic. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of A Song of Wraiths and Ruin by Roseanne A. Brown. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at J.K. Magic Pod. You can post or tweet about the show using the hashtag critically reading and you can connect... and you can connect... uh... <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> And you can contact us via email at jkmagicpod at gmail.com.
1: You can subscribe to the show on the podcast app of your choice. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review JK It's Magic on whatever, however you get your podcasts. And then if you would spread word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon. Do it. In exchange for mini sods, bonus ups, swag, and much more, and now you can support the show by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page, which I have just done. Purchasing the our giveaway winners books. Until next time, stay magical. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute and Arapaho Land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Peyankasha, Weya, Miami, Maskoten, Odawa, Sok, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land.